2: newspaper since 1971
1: all right we're excited to be back we're excited to be on the patio we're very excited to talk about what's on the ballot in the primary election early voting in chicago has started as of today about 700 people have voted in the city of chicago so, you know, there's still plenty of time to get your ballots in, uh, and the, the, the actual election day is June 28th, so we're hoping that from tonight, you guys will all be able to take away some useful information to be a more informed voter. And here with us today, we've got Rachel Hinton from the BGA and Tina Fondilis from the Sun Times. Would you guys both say a few words about the work you do and how you got hooked up with government and politics reporting?
0: Uh, Okay, so I was at the Sun-Times for about 12 years um, as various things like cop reporter, courts reporter, crime, general assignments, Then I fell in love with politics somehow. And I hate it sometimes, and I love it sometimes, but I knew that that is the kind of reporting I wanted to do. Um, During the pandemic, I moved to D.C. for 20 months and did some jobs out there. And then I decided to come home, and I came back to the Sun-Times, which has been awesome, and they're very happy to have me back. Um, And so I'm concentrating on a bunch of the statewide races right now, but I pay attention to everything. I did definitely study for you guys for congressional races so I can help you. I know about it personally, but I just did not want to get all the names wrong. There's so many people running, and as you know, in a primary, she said that there's 700 people that have voted in Chicago, so it's kind of tough. You kind of don't know what's going to happen. You do have a voice, but you kind of can't control the turnout, so... Why it's good to pay attention to what's going on. And also, Rachel Hinson is a joy, and she had the same job as me. When I was in DC, she was the chief political reporter at the Sun Times and she's wonderful, and here she is. You're stealing it.
3: <laughs> Hi. Um yeah, so I also worked at the Sun-Times uh from 2017 until December of last year, um, doing various roles. I covered Cook County government. I was kind of the stopgap player. Whenever someone was on vacation on the political team, I would cover their stuff. So I did Cook County, I did Chicago. Uh, I also did state politics. Uh, When Tina left, I was like, maybe I'll be the chief political reporter. Did that for a year. It is hard, Uh, especially hard during a pandemic when you are working a lot and in your house and there is no work-life separation because it is all in one place. And now I work at the BGA. I've been there since January. I've covered stuff. Like uh, recently I did a thing about DCFS, a thing about uh, Alderman uh, Walter Burnett and a former slash maybe current friend of his um, and developer Ani Group uh, and Atrium Village out there. Um, yeah, I am not as in the bloodstream of politics, but as a nerd, I make sure to follow it. So I'm always on Twitter. Uh, and I have also really <laughs> done my research, printed out the ballot, got some stuff for you tonight. Hope it's helpful.
2: All right. Uh And I urge everybody to check out uh, that story Rachel alluded to, if you're political geeks, and if you're here tonight, you are, about uh, Walter Burnett and Atrium Village. It's a damn shame. If you're old enough to remember what Atrium Village was like back in the 70s, what they turned it into, is a shame. And if you want to know how it happened, Rachel Hinton wrote the story. So congratulations and thanks for being here. Um, So Maya and I, we uh, did our pre-show prep what we were going to do, and I almost want to rip it up and shred it, but I don't know. Why why don't we stick with it, uh, our pre-show prep? Because these two just want to let you know, really know the governor's race on the Republican side and are really dying to take that deep dive.
1: Yeah, so before we get to the governor's race, which we will in a second, I just wanted to make a quick stop at the very top of your ballot The First thing you're going to see, whether you pull a Democratic or Republican ballot, is the U.S. Senate race, Tammy Duckworth seat. So Tammy Duckworth does not have any Democratic primary challengers, so this is easy enough as a choice for you all if you're voting Democratic. But there are uh, seven candidates running against her on the Republican ballot, and I just wanted to make sure, if there's anything important there that we need to pay attention to, are any of these people really feasible contenders against the incumbent Tammy Duckworth?
3: I would say not really feasible. Um, <laughs> Tammy Duckworth has a whole Democratic machine behind her, and she has the money. She has the name recognition, which comes with being an incumbent. Uh, there are a couple people on the Republican side who believe the election was stolen and who espoused Great. that in a couple <laughs> in a couple of um, endorsement interviews. Uh, when pressed on it, they were like, "Yeah, we don't think Joe Biden was like legitimately elected." So you know, do with that what you will. Um, There seems to be at least one or two people who are, like, traditional conservatives. Um, But I I would say I don't really know that any of them has a chance at beating her in November.
0: And as you said, uh, Democrats are backing her. She does have a future for the party. She could run for things in the future. She could run for president. She was considered vice president. She has been critical of Joe Biden. So there's a place for her. So those types of candidates do get support no matter what. Awesome. All right, Ben, go ahead. Right. I, what you really want to get to yes
2: let's get to governor's <laughs> race uh and let's stay uh, uh on the uh let's go to the republican side of things that's where all the action has been uh i have to tell you uh tina and rachel and Maya, i've been obsessively following this i can't stop talking about it on the podcast uh it is a source of uh, entertainment and fear for me it's just me speaking um because i'm watching this struggle I'd love to, you both of you, I know, have strong feelings about this and get into it, but the struggle between what passes, and I really emphasize what passes as, like, a moderate uh, Republican party, which is, I think, what Ken Griffin is trying to create, uh, but trying to impose that on MAGA. And I'm watching this battle, you know, where Richard Irvin is supposedly representing, quote-unquote, moderate, Republican, but trying to say whatever he has to say to get through this first round, which is controlled by MAGA. I find it fascinating on so many levels. Uh, so I'll start with, I'm going to start with you, uh, Tina, and then to Rachel. Um, is that how you see this race, uh, more or less?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, as you said, Ken Griffin so has given $50 million. And if you look at, he contributes to Republicans like every day, millions and millions of dollars. I don't know if we're going to see any more money from him in this race, but it has done a lot. As you can see, every ad on TV is a Ken, or a Richard Irvin ad. Um, he was trying to court a moderate person who will like keep the line on rich people taxes. That's his number one thing. He also really wants pension reform, some sort of like constitutional amendment to largely diminish it or get rid of it, which is extremely unpopular. I'm not sure how he would do that. But yeah, December, he sees the people... There's a lot of, you know, Gary Rabine, he's a businessman. There's Senator Paul, former state Senator Paul Schimpf, um, who's running. You have Max Solomon, who's a Hazelcrest attorney. He's the most far right that we've seen so far, if you've seen in the debates. Um, Jesse Sullivan is a very smiley venture capitalist from California. <laughs> um, and then you have Darren Bailey, the downstate state sen- state senator from Xenia, which is a very small town. But Ken Griffin chose... Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ken Griffin chose Richard Irvin because he wanted that moderate voice and as you're seeing, there's a war playing out right now and he might lose it's getting a lot closer there was a a poll released this week but it is, take it with a grain of salt because it is uh, Dan Proft who who announced the poll and it is a Trump pollster Um, I think we will see some more polls coming out but it had uh, Bailey up by 7 points and that's the first time that we've seen that so, what you're seeing is that there are people trying to get these moderate Republicans to run in our state, but our state might not be representative of moderate Republicans anymore. And it's what you're seeing in a lot of the country. So, there's got to be this, a way to try to understand what that is. So, you know, Richard Irvin might lose, Darren Bailey might win. And, and Darren and Bailey is the most, most far right of them all. Wow, he's he's the most supported far right. I would say this Max Sullivan guy seems to be extremely far right. So he's the most supported in terms of the Democratic Governors Association is spending money to support him because they don't want to face Richard Irvin, which is also kind of scary in politics. Yes. Right. It just is. So that's happening everywhere. Um, They're running ads against. Darren Bailey saying that he's too conservative, which is supposed to scare people into voting for him, to, to, to like piss off the Republicans and be like, but I am conservative. I love this stuff. I'm going to go vote for Darren Bailey. Yeah. And you see Nancy Pelosi's pack doing the same things uh, nationwide. So it is a trend and something to l- really look into what our country yeah. is. Yeah, it's facing. scary.
1: And he's also yeah. first on the ballot, uh, Darren yeah. Bailey is. So that that's, sometimes makes
2: a difference. Yeah. Rachel.
1: Yeah, I
3: would echo I mean I think what Tina said is super accurate. I think to maybe expand this to like a broader like national conversation. This is midterm elections are often bad for the party of the president, which is Democrats. And so I think what we're seeing Democrats do like through the DGA and like Nancy Pelosi's pack and whatnot is to try any and everything possible to try to curtail some really far right candidates from getting into these positions, from taking over governors' mansions, from getting into the into Congress, into you know the House or the Senate, um, as well as you know just down the ballot in some of these races. Um, I'd also say that you know the battle we're seeing play out in the governor's race between you know far right and moderate candidates. I'd also put Paul Schimpf in the moderate candidate you know category. Uh, the Tribune when it endorsed him was like, look, we know people are going to go tactically because you want the best person to win uh, in, in November, but he's a smart guy who seems willing to reach across the aisle and that's really what the state needs but you know I, that's a digression um, we're seeing this happen you know maybe not necessarily in like the treasurer's race or whatever but in other smaller races state senate state house you're seeing some candidates pop up who you know are denying that the election was legitimate who do believe that it was stolen who are espousing those same kind of trumpy beliefs and i think some of it is because People are seeing that Trump supporters, that there there are supporters for Trump in this state. And so people want to tap into that voting base and try to get as many people to come along with him as
2: possible. You know, uh, Rachel, I'll ask you this, and then uh, Tina, you can take it up. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. The fact that Donald Trump has not endorsed uh, in the race for governor... Uh, it would seem obvious to me that if he were to endorse the candidate he would should endorse it. would be Darren Bailey, who's Mr. MAGA, who, uh, if you recall, Darren Bailey was the leader of resistance in the uh, General Assembly to having to wear masks. So he was like against masks. Uh, he would be laughing at me for wearing a mask right now. Um, so he was against masks a long time ago. So he was he's extreme MAGA. Uh, He's endorsed Trump, he's let it be clear, but Trump won't endorse him. Trump endorsed Mary Miller for Congress, uh, so Trump will get into Illinois. I have my own theory about Trump uh, on this matter. He's afraid of losing, he's afraid of going up against Kenny G, Ken Griffin, and uh, so he's staying out. That's just my theory, I'd love to get your thoughts on, first of all, what impact Trump would have if he were to do the endorsement, and secondly, why do you think he's staying out? We'll start with you, Rachel.
3: I think Trump has had the ability, like when he does choose to endorse, to kind of anoint a winner. You know, of, like this person has my blessing. And I think we've seen in recent races, like I want to say Georgia, um, do you know, what I'm talking about? Purdue. Senate, yeah, no, he got Senate, mopped in Georgia. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think some of it is probably he doesn't want to lose. I think he probably has his advisors watching this race and trying to see, like, okay, well, where is Darren Bailey in the polls? We know that this guy hates losing. He he hates any sort of black mark on him. So I think that he's. He's watching this and maybe allowing other advisors to step in like we saw Steve Bannon endorse Bailey I think last week or two weeks ago Um, so maybe he's like slow like kind of turning the knob in terms of endorsements but I, I think if we do see an endorsement from him it won't come until later in this race when things are maybe more firm in terms of like support for either of these candidates and I think if Bailey in late polls is down I don't
0: know that we'll see Trump come out um, to go into like a media dialogue, I read a bunch of political newsletters. I used to work for them, and i I have good friends there. And every Tuesday, it's a different primary. And every story is, will Trump make an effect? And we don't really know if it's like a media storyline or if it's him because it's kind of it has he hasn't really shown as much power as people think. So I don't know how important it would be in Illinois, which is te- typically a blue state. Um, I do believe Trump is coming out just before election day for Mary Miller downstate. Um, and I'm positive Darren Bailey will show up and smile and try to get on stage and do all that. I don't know if he's getting the endorsement. He definitely tried to get it. He went to a fundraiser, paid $25,000 to get the picture, and then ran it in ads and stuff. So he's got that. He really is, He, you're right, he is a Trump supporter. and so That's why it was enraging that the Urban campaign and others tried to say that he wasn't. It's just like a game of like... There's also an ad where he's wearing a mask and he's the most anti-mask person that you know. He started, like, a war on the floor about it. So, it's just like, everyone's going like this. It's like little children jabbing each other. Um, but I don't know, I don't see an endorsement coming, and I think Rachel's right that he does not want close races, and Illinois is not that important to him.
2: All right, so, uh, if, if I were framing this question for my podcast, uh, I would frame it this way, but I'm going to uh, but you answer whichever way you want, because you you guys have to play it really straight. Um, so I watched, dutifully, uh, the Republican debate uh, last Thursday. As I said, I've got a strange obsession with this race, uh, which I confess to. And uh, I have many candidates for this distinction that I'm about to ask you about. In your humble opinion, what was the out- most outrageous moment of that debate? Uh, and I presume you both saw it, or at least read about it. Um, I, I don't know if you saw it, or, but I presume you've read about it. So we'll start with you, uh, Tina. Your opinion. The most outrageous moment of the uh, Republican gubernatorial debate.
0: I was there. I was in the ABC studios, hidden away from all the people. And some of them answered questions and some didn't. Irvin left right away. Um, I find the questions about like the edu- sex education in schools to be very interesting. <laughs> Because they think that there should be no sex education at all through in any K-12 situation. As, as like a Greek Orthodox person who went to a parochial school, like I even had it there. And I think I would be totally lost in the world. So I don't quite understand how that would fly. Um, but I, that was surprising to me. And I think all of them were kind of on the same page, even Richard Irvin, that sex education should not be taught. And I think that's kind of like very interesting. Yeah,
2: that is a bizarre one. Rachel?
0: About them yelling at each other and calling each other corrupt Democrats.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, there
2: was one. Yeah, sorry, um, oh, that's all right. Uh, he
0: was really ganged up on, though. Oh, I know who? Richard. Richard, Urban? Urban. oh yeah, that was the plan, I think. You would. Know um,
2: I, I got to tell you, this one which is probably it just struck me as like where the Republicans are coming from. Right? Did you think of it? No, I, oh. it
3: came to me, and then Tina was still
1: talking. I was like, remember it, remember it, and then I.
2: Oh, yeah, man. You're too young for that. Uh, So um, it'll come back. back. But for me, I've been thinking about this one. Uh, And, you know, I'm pretty obsessed with uh, COVID, admittedly, uh, and so forth. Uh, But um, Jesse Sullivan got COVID. Uh, right before Jesse Sullivan is the uh, the guy who the made his one. fortune in San Francisco. Follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen. Made a lot of money in San Francisco, but was raised in Downstate Illinois. He came back to run as governor, and he's trying to. That's really a problem for him. <laughs> he can't tell people like he raised. He made his fortune in in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. Very strange. But anyway, he got COVID, so he couldn't be in the studio because he was contagious, and so he made a point of saying like, yeah. I would be there, but ABC has, they wouldn't let me. And I'm like, is that where the Republican Party is right now? It, you yes. know what I mean? They don't believe that COVID is contagious? Is that their official position of he the did, Republican His
0: statement did say something like that. Like, I would, tried with all my might, but I, I can't. And also I was thinking if he was, if they were in some sort of rehearsal together, were they all together not wearing masks? No one really addressed that one either. Yeah. I, we all went. The reporters that were there wore masks in their in our little side room. Rachel, did you uh, remember it? Yeah.
3: Uh, Darren Bailey's hellhole, like oh,
0: yeah. like his pivot from like,
3: I don't think Chicago's a hellhole, while not really saying that. Um, I think in the Tribune endorsement debate, he made a comment about Chicago being a hellhole, and like, look at all the violence, and look at all the problems the city has. And so ABC, one of the moderators, was like, can you address that? Like, this is the economic engine of the state. And he was like, Uh, <laughs> it's not a hellhole, but also there's a lot of problems. Yeah. So he didn't city really... It a great city. Which is like classic, you know, it, I've yeah. said something bad, so now I have to find like one nice thing to say about it. Um, that to me was kind of outrageous. You're running to lead the state, and you're calling a major city in that state a hellhole. Oh. So. Uh,
2: well, I would say it's an improvement, because the first time he came to Chicago, he did a protest about... Uh, uh, the covid uh regulations and they did it at buckingham fountain uh and he's he likened chicago to a wayward child that you have to spank every now and then so it's like <laughs> yeah, so in some ways he's really uh showing greater tolerance about this well, and so yeah. he's
0: been around like you said you remember where he was in buckingham fountain a year ago so he's been planning this for yeah, no, he's a been year doing and a half yep. he's been everywhere
1: absolutely yeah. Um, I think we could spend the rest of this evening talking about the Republican uh, primary for governor, but I want to move us forward. Uh, the, the next thing people will see on their ballot is the attorney general race. Again, nobody's primary Kwame Raul. There's a, like two or three Republicans running, uh, three. Anything of particular interest for attorney
0: general? Yes, Steve, the oh. Steve Kim guy. Do Does this guy him? have a
1: chance, Steve Kim?
3: Potentially, he has a- money from Ken, from Ken Griffin. He's uh, an attorney. He's got an international law firm. He this is his second time running for attorney general. I think his third time running like statewide. Um, I think this fits into the theme that we talked about earlier of Ken Griffin trying to kind of court moderates, trying to court people who won't scare you know, uh, maybe slightly more left-leaning people and also bring along some, like, right-leaning people so that way he can build a coalition to, like, get these people votes and get them into office or at least get them far
1: enough to, Mm -hmm. like, have a chance. So, if yeah, if he wins this primary, that'll definitely be a
0: race to watch in the fall. Especially if Irvin loses, they're going to put money into some of these other races on their slate, like that one and the Secretary of State race.
2: But I'll ask you guys this. I'm not sure it's a a shoo-in for Kim because I've been kind of following this race, too, because it has some overtures to the gubernatorial race, my obsession. This guy, Tom DeVore, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's
0: a Darren Bailey person.
2: He's DB's lawyer. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so he's like even more DB than DB.
0: I have been on the trail with him just for a couple days. I went to Southern Illinois to follow Darren Bailey around, and Tom DeVore was at all of these. And Darren Bailey did not say anything that offended me. He did not say divisive things. The way he talks to people in Southern Illinois is like, you agree with me and I agree with you and I want to be your leader. But Tom DeVore is not like that. He's the one who's saying the, like, you know, immigrants need to leave the country, et cetera. So it's it's very different the way that both of those have campaigned.
2: Absolutely. And he's also just, uh, he's the lawyer who represents people who don't want to have to get vaccinated or or wear a mask. So he's built quite a profession out of being the go-to lawyer for guys like that. So... I don't know. I mean, this is a mini gubernatorial race. You know what I'm saying? It, like, well, it'll really test uh, Ken Griffin's deep pockets. Uh,
3: the other guy in the race is also Trump aligned. Oh, David Shostakis? Yeah,
1: he's a hearing officer at the Chicago Board of Elections for years. It's really incredible that he's gotten this far <laughs> up the ballot. To me, anyway.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, he spent like a month in Pennsylvania, like looking for election fraud, just like. <laughs> huh, I'm looking for fraud. I'm investigating <laughs> all these like, ballots that have come
1: in. Um. Okay. So then we get to probably the first spicy race on the Democratic ballot. You know, the the uh, Secretary uh, of State race. Okay. We've got this outgoing uh, Secretary of State Jesse White, who's been in there what, forty years? No, Thirty. Forty
2: years.
1: Since uh, he's been in there a long time. 80s. Decades. <laughs> yeah. All right, De- decades.
0: Google
1: uh, The rain, the rain has gone on for decades. So now uh, we've got a race between the, um, Demo- the, the Democratic Cook County Democratic Party endorsed Alexi Giannullis, um Alderman David Moore, uh, City Chicago City Clerk Anna Valencia, and a person named Sidney Moore, spelled the same way as David Moore, who Ben thinks is actually a sham candidate. Uh, but I what do you I all think? think? Is Sidney is Moore a real candidate? It's a he.
0: Oh, it's a he. I think there's no filings in the State Board of Elections or no information about Sidney Moore, and it's sad that we even include also running yeah. Sydney Moore. But we always say that they have not pro- like filed the proper papers.
3: I don't think they have a campaign fund. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, in this race, you're going to need it,
0: yeah.
3: um, especially given, like, Alexi Janulis has... Crap ton of money. I don't know what the figure is off the top of my head currently. Former like treasurer, seven or something.
0: God.
3: Uh, f- former treasurer, former failed Illinois Senate candidate. He lost to uh, Mark Kirk. He's kind of using that like statewide name recognition or the ability to have run and won uh, in Illinois primary at that time to, as like a reason to be put into this office. Is one of the many reasons. Um, yeah, do you want to?
0: Um, they had a debate about two weeks ago at the Union League Club that I covered and that was it was it was sad because it was focusing on ethical baggage and the questions were like, How can you win if you win this race, why won't a Republican beat you? Because you carry the exact same baggage that you had ten years ago, which is that his family had the Broadway bank and he was all, family. Genulius' mm-hmm. family, yes. Um who and he was a loan officer at the time and the bank uh, for forecl- not foreclosed, but lost, what's the word I'm looking for? Failed. It was a okay, failed yeah. bank, and also there were some mobster loans in there. Um, and this is the same thing that was going on when he was running against Mark Kirk. So you are the same person, you have the same family, you have the same bank, you still worked at that same bank. And so he's trying to show that he's a different candidate. And then Anna Valencia has, this is, I find this very sad because You don't really want to judge a candidate based on their family's doings, just as Alexi, but she does have a lobbyist husband who seems to be caught in a lot of things, and she is caught in that as well in some emails that seem to show that she uh, introduced him to various business people that would have uh, led him to city contracts. So she was very defensive. She left the mic saying, this is what it's like to be a woman running for office. So there's a lot of emotion in there, um, and then it's funny, because Alderman Moore looked like like the sane one in it, <laughs> but if you watch any city council meetings, you know, sometimes he says some off-color things, so it was just very strange to see the ethics baggage, and then David Moore coming out there and looking kind of normal. Yeah, he looks like yeah. the grown-up in the room. He did, he did. Uh, With
3: Valencia, um, Valencia and <coughs> Genulius I think the reason why the ethics keeps coming up is because the secretary of state's office handles the ethics filings for like businesses for elected officials. And so Janulius's campaign and and surrogates are like, how can you run this office when you've got this, you know, ethical like violation and Valencia's campaign is throwing the same thing back. But you know, the thing that they're throwing back about the bank is 10 years old. Um, if if that, I think it might be. Uh, it's ten years, yeah, whatever. Um, it's it's a pretty old thing, yeah. but I think that Over 10 that kind of has yeah. yeah that has yeah. legs as well as I mean Jesse White is out. Um, this has been a pretty safe office for Democrats, so trying to figure out like who in this race can protect it from going to a Republican because Republicans have held this office before um, and not only held the office but have used it also as a stepping stone, I want to say, to the governor's mansion, to to higher offices.
2: So i got to ask you this question, Rachel, first, and then, uh, Tina, you'll have a moment to think about an answer. Uh, And it comes right out of what you said. And I've been thinking about this. This this also relates to uh, Kari Steele's run in Assessor. Um, How much should a candidate... Uh, have to pay a price for, in this case, what her husband does. It could be, easily be the other way around, uh, it, but in this particular case, Carrie Steele with Mace Jackson and some of the outrageous things that have been said on his show uh, have become an issue in that race, uh, and uh, with Anna Valencia and her husband. Uh, and I've noticed this uh, tendency, it, it's probably scripted by uh, the, the, the PR people, the brains, is to immediately say that it's sexist, uh, that to hold a woman accountable for what her husband does is absolutely sexist, and a woman should be able to s- speak her mind and not be associated with her husband at all. Uh, interesting little spin on things. Uh, then, but uh, your thoughts, uh, Rachel, on this, this whole issue?
3: I think it's fair to like throw out the sexism claim, but I think in these cases it's also fair that they're getting criticism for it. Uh, in the case of Carrie Steele, Mays Jackson, on his radio show, which is also like live streamed like on on YouTube or on his Facebook page, I want to say, he will throw up Carrie Steele's like campaign like logo. and I, I believe is also a campaign advisor for her, or like gives her advice every once in a while because he's a political guy. Like he knows what's going on. And so when you have that, when you have someone throwing the logo up, you know, in the show while you're also saying anti-Semitic things, homophobic things, uh, sexist things, I think it's fair to ask the candidate, who happens to be a woman, do you support this, or have you had any conversations with your husband about not saying these things? Um, in the case of Anna Valencia, I think it's also fair because the emails that have come out show that they definitely bring up questions about, like, okay, how is she using this office? Is she using it for pub- for uh, personal gain? And if not for herself, she's using it for her family's personal gain. Or that's the question that comes up. Um, so I, I mean, I understand why they're throwing out sexism. I think that it's a great play in like the political handbook but I think in these cases you have to also understand that for what these offices are for in Valencia's case the ethical piece of that office means that you're going to face ethical questions about it or questions about your ethics with Kerry Steele your husband is saying all of these things and he is also touting you he wants people to vote for you he's, he's urging his people the people who watch the show who listen to the show to vote for you so I think it's fair that they're both being questioned on it
0: I think it's a little different. Um, I I agree, but just words versus actions. So, like, in the Carrie Steele situation, but in the Valencia situation, that she's supposed to have filed a disclosure, I believe, when they're doing um, business with the state. So she personally didn't, but her husband didn't, which means it's your same income. I'm assuming you have a shared financial situation. So there's some of that. And also, as we mentioned, the Secretary of State's office handles the lobbyist database. So whenever we're looking up a lobbyist or someone in like all the federal investigations that are going on, that's where you Google, that's where you find the person's name, where they work, what their clients are. So she would be overseeing that. So if her husband is having some ethical issues in the city contracts, not just here, there's, a, there's an investigation in New Orleans um, and I believe somewhere in California as well. Um, so that's the tricky part is you are supposed to be fully disclosing business with the state and she would be overseeing that.
1: Well, my question is a little bit different about that race, which is, what did Anna Valencia do to piss off the Cook County Democratic Party that they slated Alexi Janulius for this? Is it just because she was like allied with ROM? What is the kind of uh, like I'd never heard of this guy before, uh, and I don't understand who his friends are and how it how it is that he has more pull than Anna Valencia. I think well,
2: you're, you weren't just in your defense. You weren't in the state back in 2010 when he ran that horrible campaign for.
1: <laughs> but that seems like it's another High reason places. not to not to uh, t- slate him I when man, he if he ran a horrible me. campaign. I didn't slate him. <laughs> I
0: think it's <laughs> Illinois Dems versus Cook County Dems. Yes. That's what it is. That's very good. Um, and so Illinois Dems, which. This is like a lesson in maybe don't endorse people too early because yeah. Jesse White and Jamie Pritzker and Senator Durbin uh, and Duckworth all endorsed Valencia very, very early. They're like, we love you, you're in. And that was January, February. And then these emails, which the Janoulias campaign admits that they, they're they the ones who found it. And a lot of the reporters' stories say that, which is pretty rare. Usually it's like obtained, but really it's the campaign. So they are fussing up to it. And it is a Cook County Dem versus Illinois Dem situation. But at the this Cook point. County
1: Dems endorsed him back in December, right? They slated him back in December before any of this came out. Even I think it has to do with allies. So
3: Janulius is, is friends with former Obama people, and like touts that connection very often. Um, and so I think with the Cook County Dems, some of it is whipping votes. A lot of it is who you know and how long you've known them, and like you know, I I can't speak for back in the day like you know maybe you give give a favor sounds bad it sounds corrupt obviously but like may, maybe you do something for someone they do something for you you remember that. Um, and I also heard from people in the room like Cook County you know committee people, Janulius has been working these phones yeah. since like he he started running for office, on like both with them and then various like labor unions, like the AFL CIO, who I believe chose not to endorse in this race, but various other unions that have clout that like they can put on their mailers. He's been calling those people very early, and I believe Valencia got in a bit later. Um, and so getting in the race sooner allows you to begin that process a lot sooner. Um, I also think, you know, going back to those the allies, those allies can then work other people. So if you have a couple people on city council, you can then twist the arms of other people on the city council to, you know, hey, vote for this guy. I think he's really great. Here's why. Yep. In December, which is when they slated, we were both yeah. there, um, Pat Dowell, who was in this race, and then oh, yeah. switched to the first congressional district, um you know, was super upset that her colleagues on the Cook County Democratic Party did not endorse her. And I think, again, it's like, it's allies, it's also like a cost-benefit analysis. If Janulius is in this office, like,
0: what does that mean for me? I think that's the question that a lot of people are yeah, trying to ask. He was able to raise a lot of money. That's a huge factor. Yeah. A lot he's, of money He's very the top 20. fundraiser. Yeah. Very quickly, he has friends. He has bank friends.
2: Yes. And <laughs> yeah. lobbyist maybe friends. Maybe not a banker, you want to do business. With. All right, now, uh, so, by the way... We do a gag all the time on the podcast where we play Genulius and then we, oh, he sounds, he's imitating Obama. It's unbelievable how much he channels Obama. Uh, And then when you listen to him after a while, then you start talking like Obama. It's really hard not to. Uh, All right, so here's my uh, question uh, for you guys. No ducking and dodging on this one. All right, here we go. So who, in your humble opinion, we'll start with you, Rachel. Who, in your humble opinion, did a worse job of vetting? Uh, Pritzker, Durbin, etc., when they decided it was a good idea to endorse Anna Valencia, or Kenny G, Ken Griffin, when he thought it was a great job to pluck this guy from utter obscurity named Richard Urban uh, without realizing that he was really a Democrat. Go ahead.
1: You're really obsessed with this governor's race. (laughs) I love the governor's race. I think there
3: are drawbacks for both of them. With Valencia, though, I don't... I mean, Janoulius' campaign had like a Rod Blagojevich moment of like, we've got this thing and it's golden, you know? And then they just pushed it everywhere that they could. And I do believe with like Ken Griffin, I mean, how are you going to know that your candidate sent these texts like a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more, saying, you know, yeah, I think Trump's a racist bigot. I, I just don't know that you can reach out to every person that Richard Irvin has ever sent a text to and say, did he say this to you? Um, so I think that some of it comes down to people are flawed. Period. Um, and you're, there's no way to know all the skeletons that are in a closet. I think that both have been interesting. They've uh, been fun to watch for me personally. And also, they. I think that they'll be helpful for people like trying to decide who to vote for.
0: I do think the vetting failure has to go to Valencia. And as I said, I have sympathy for her because I think it's more action of her husband than her. Um, And as I said, people should not endorse too early. I do think that the Ken Griffin situation was proper vetting. It was just uh, trying to manage a campaign in a way that we haven't seen before, where he was just told... We're just not going to answer anything about Trump. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to do a couple (laughs) interviews. We're going to hide. It's going to be fine. Nothing's going to come out. And then it's going to be like, oh, crap. We have these, like Rachel said, these text messages saying that he called him a bigoted racist, et cetera. So uh, it is a control issue. I think he is not a bad person. I don't think he's a bad politician. He's just not maybe what Illinois wanted him to be. All right. Very good.
1: Okay, let's keep rolling. Uh, we're about to get to the congressional races, but before we do, and then we'll also start taking you all's questions soon too, uh, j- I just want to ask one question. Uh, what is a comptroller, and why should we care about what that is? Susanna Mendoza is not being primaried, but there are uh, w- there's also only one, one candidate on the Republican ballot. Just explain to the people what... What does what this elected official do and why this this is like a position that matters? I feel like they're like the state's accountant. So they make sure
3: all the bills are paid on time when there's money to pay those bills. Um, they try to make like, they try to make sure that the state is fiscally responsible or as fiscally responsible as possible. Um, Susanna Mendoza has, her, one of her big things has been like reducing the state's bill backlog, which has been. Very high. I don't remember what it was. Um, my brain is just—I'm bleaching certain things from my brain, I guess. Like billions. Um, billions 11, of dollars. Yeah, it's been billions. Really bad. Um, so one of her big things in her run-up, you know, for this for her next term is we really reduced this bill backlog. The state is in great fiscal condition or better fiscal condition. Um, it's seen credit upgrades from the three major credit agencies. Um, so that's
1: thanks to her work, in part. I would mm-hmm. say.
0: It's thanks to also the money we got from the feds for the pandemic, um, having a functioning budget, et cetera. But she kinda gets to take credit for the managing of it. And as Rachel said, it's not the most political job in the world, but it could lead you to other things. She did consider a run for mayor last time around. She ran. And she had, run. Yeah, she and did. She had yeah. that campaign that came the commercial that came out accidentally, which was sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it is a stepping stool. I don't think she wants to do anything else. I think that she's found that this is like a very fulfilling job for her.
1: Mm. All right, Ben, we're there. Uh, first congressional. Oh
0: uh, man, I, was, I, I just. Does
1: anyone here me. live in the first congressional district? Oh, all right. All right, we're talking. So to we, you. <laughs> this <laughs> is for you. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on with this race? Why are there like 30 people running on the Democratic ballot?
3: It's the first time this this seat has been open in a very long time, decades. I don't know how long. I mean, that's the word of the night, I guess. 17 people are looking to replace Bobby Rush. Um, I always, sometimes I mess that up. Um, which I think could mean that they need a very low percentage of a majority, yes. like 20 to 25% yep. to move on to November, which is kind of scary. Like, they don't really need that many people. Not scary, but it's not great. Um, it's not 50 plus one. Um, I would say that the three like, leading people in that race, like if I had to pick three people, um, are Pat Dowell, John Jackson, and Jackie Collins, although Jackie Collins is like way distant third. Um, Pat, Pat Dowell has
1: the advantage of being an elected official in that area already.
3: Exactly. Um, and Jonathan Jackson has the benefit of being Jesse Jackson's son. So, and I believe he's also, he's been around. I believe he might have ran for that position or, or ran for something else previously. Um, people I spoke to said that those two are the, like, the two making this a race to watch.
0: There's basically. also the person that Rush endorsed, which is Karen Norrington Reeves. Yeah. Um, Who is she? She is the CEO of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership, according to my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I would say, like, an endorsement from Bobby Rush has to mean something, just like Jesse White's endorsement probably means something to Valencia, and she talks about it every five seconds. Yeah, so yeah. that is something that you can run on your campaign forever, yeah. that this person who's no longer running is endorsing you.
1: Yeah, her lawn signs have his name almost bigger than hers on them. Yeah.
2: By the way, uh, <clears throat> I believe the correct answer to the question, which was not posed, is 1983.
1: 1993.
2: No, 1983 was the last time there was no incumbent in this race because Sorry. the incumbent was Harold Washington, who became mayor. Then there was a vacancy. as and Ken Davis will tell you, um, it was a battle between Charlie Hayes and Lou Palmer, and Charlie Hayes was victorious, and he was the sitting incumbent in 1992, when Bobby him. Rush stunned the world by beating him because he got caught up in a posted stamp uh, scandal. you have something in
3: your ear telling you all of this? Yeah, no, it's on
0: <laughs> the brain. It's really weird.
2: Wait,
0: what's the posted? It's
3: a situation? cry for
2: help. Actually, I could be confusing uh, Charles Hayes with Dan Rosakowski. I humbly apologize to the Rosakowski fans in the audience. There was some kind of scandal. I think it was a... Right, Ken? I'm looking at Ken Davis. <laughs> there was... There was a congressional scandal, and I think it had to do with post-it stamps, but whatever. Bobby Rush, that's when he got uh, elected. So, 83 was the last vacancy, when there wasn't an incumbent.
1: Okay, but Bobby Rush has been in there since 1993, so... That's correct, Senator. Did,
0: you, did we find out Jesse White's... Oh, remember? tenure in office? <laughs> yeah, I really uh, want to know this one. Uh, uh, to,
2: 1998. Oh. I'm just guessing.
1: Oh,
0: all right.
1: Let's um... See yeah. Besides the first, um, are there other congressional races that you guys find particularly interesting? Um, <laughs> oh
0: goodness! We at each other. We're like, "Let's go!" Yeah, <laughs> take it away,
2: Tina. Go, you go um, first.
0: Well, as you know, there's redistricting situations in many districts. So Democrats led the redistricting, and so the the goal was to have more Democrats win. That's not always the case. Um, if we're going um, chronologically, there's the third, which is Gil Vegas, um, the alderman, and state rep Delia Ramirez.
1: There's two other people, too.
0: There is. They don't matter? They do matter, but <laughs> those are the alleged front runners. They're the progressives. They are progressives in different ways. Um, the thing about this redistricting is that it took portions of the suburbs. Um, And so that's what's going to be interesting to see. Again, this this year is a super case study in everything in your beloved GOP governor's race. (laughs) And in this, to see how the redistricting is going to help or hurt Democrats and what types of Democrats are going to win. So will two progressives battle each other for the win or will it be a more moderate? This is all like a super case study.
3: I would then go to the sixth. I think that kind of tees it up perfectly. Oh, but
0: also the third used to be... Oh, it used to have...
3: um, Pieces of the sixth, is yeah. that right?
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, so Marie Newman's territory got redrawn into the third.
3: Yeah. Okay, no. so yes. she was then mapped into um, fourth district U.S. Rep. Jesus Chuy Garcia's district, and instead of choosing to run against him because it has his like power base there, mm-hmm. she's choosing to run against Sean Casten. Both of them are. Did like she move? She, she will move. Um, and I don't believe you have to you live in the district, live in district that you represent. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but she says that she's going to move into the district if she wins. Okay. Um, so she's choosing to take on Sean Caston instead of Chewy. Um, and that has been a battle of like moderate versus progressive. Sean Caston says that like he has the uh, you know, bona fides to reach and connect to moderates in the district. Marie Newman doesn't feel that way. She feels like she can connect to voters in that that area and that she has. Um, What was I about to say? Sorry.
0: She has some ethics
3: issues. She does have a, yeah, Yeah. ethics inquiry. There's an ethics inquiry. Actually, this relates to the third district. The third, right, correct. Um, in Kahade, who is a professor and foreign policy analyst. Allegedly, she offered him a job on her staff if he would not run against her, I believe in 2020. Um, That ethics inquiry is still, like, ongoing. I don't know when it'll be. Do you know when it'll be? No, all right. Well, womp womp. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would say that that's an interesting race to watch because this is one of the few districts where redistricting screwed over a Democratic incumbent, and now two incumbents
0: are fighting it out, and only one incumbent will leave. It's like a battle royale in some ways. Mm-hmm. And Sean Casten's on TV, according to my uh, television today, so that's yeah. always good for him. Um, I think he is current. I think the one of the latest polls, which I believe was commissioned by him, so please take it as a grain of salt, had him up by ten points, yeah. and that was like. Couple days ago, it
3: I would also say, like, as Democrats try to fight to keep, you know, their control of Congress, that's one of the things we're seeing Sean Caston say. I haven't seen his ad, so I don't know if he alludes no, to that's that. That's what he said. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, like, you know, he's a moderate Democrat. People don't want. He's not trying to scare anybody away. He's trying to bring people on board, and so that means kind of playing toward the middle. Whereas Marie Newman is kind of taking not an opposite, you know, uh, tactic or agenda, but she's definitely not playing towards the middle. She is trying to go to people who might be
0: even further left of the middle. And it's a sad timing for her because remember, she defeated Lipinski and the big issue there was abortion. So clearly abortion is a key issue here. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of battling out that too, who well, is the, more uh, supportive. I, and
2: Absolutely. I think in your, to your point, uh, if if there are political geeks in the uh, 6th Congress who really follow these things, the ultimate decision for many of them, will be who would be in the best position to hold this seat in November, because what what is Nancy Pelosi up? I think it's uh, I was about to look at Ken again, but uh, six, I think it's six uh, <laughs> seats, isn't that correct? Six, something like that? So every one of these seats is absolutely crucial as to whether the Democrats hold Congress and can continue an investigation of January 6th, as opposed to having impeachment of, of Joe Biden, which would start uh, so I think that should be on the mind of... Uh, and, they,
1: and on the Republican side, there's only one candidate for the third district uh, seat. And there. So I'm assuming that person, Justin Bureau, is laying low and collecting money. Uh, while in the sixth district, there's like six Republicans running. So a uh, hotly contested race that... Yeah, yeah, they
2: think they have a chance in the 6th. They think they have a chance in the 17th congressional district. We're not going to talk about that because it's outside of Chicago. But uh, I, I could, uh, we could do a whole show on whether the, the Democrats did an effective job of using their power to gerrymander Republicans into what, to do to Republicans what Republicans do to Democrats. I would argue that they did not do a very great job in the state of Illinois. Uh, but we'll see in November, I guess. I think... Uh,
3: Both of them flipped seats. uh, Sean Caston and Marie Newman flipped seats in 2018. So I think that... No, not not 2018, but... No,
2: Marie Newman, was she beat a conservative Democrat.
3: Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 Lipinski, sorry. But what I was going to say is that while Sean Caston flipped a seat, he beat Pete Roskam, um, and Marie Newman got out this conservative Democrat, I think that Republicans see a chance to appeal... Two voters in those areas. These are
0: new people, and it's been a weird couple of years. So it's not like, like they're really trying to go up. Very weird couple of years. Well, well and, and
1: this is actually, I we just this is a great transition to the one other congressional race I, I thought we should hit before we opened it up to questions, uh, which is the seventh district in which there are zero Republican candidates running. So clearly, they don't even think they have a chance there. But it's Danny Davis's district. And he's got a challenger. He's got two challengers: Kena Collins and um, Dinarvis Mendenhall. Um, this is a really interesting race as well, with a bajillion-year incumbent and a hyper progressive um, uh, challenger in Kena Collins.
2: Yeah, this is. Uh, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. Kena's been on my show a few times. She's pretty good. She's fast on her feet. Uh, she knows the issues. Uh, this is her second run. And she's p- pitching this as Justice Democrats versus Nancy Pelosi. So in other words, uh, and Akeem Jeffries is both, Nancy Pelosi, two of the leaders of the Democratic Party in Congress have come to Chicago to endorse Danny Kay Davis uh, for reelection. Uh, and uh, what Keena Collins is doing is saying, this is the old guard. I'm with AOC, uh, you know, I'm with um, Cory Bush in, in Missouri. Uh, Jessica Cisneros uh, in Texas, that kind of thing. Summer Lee in Pittsburgh. And uh, so she's trying to link herself to the, I don't know, what do you call them? The super progressive Ben wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, and uh, so what's your thoughts? You know, can, will, will, that, Chicago, will that fly
0: with the voters yeah, in that you're district? right.
2: Chicago is so conservative when it comes to loving their congressmen. I think
0: the name recognition, sorry, it sounds lame, but it's true. You know, when people go to the ballot box and they see a name that they know, a Danny Davis, he has that chance because he's run a million times. But it is super fun to see a 31-year-old kind of feisty person um, come through um, and be a little bit more progressive. So this is a good race to watch, not because of redistricting, but because it takes, I don't know, it takes a lot of gusto to try to do what she's doing, especially to try to push this district to be a little bit more far left. Um, the other guy, too, this Mendenhall, he, I guess he, he's from the West Side, and he was in the military, and he worked for the FDA. He's got good credentials, but it seems like it's Kina versus Danny. Um, and so it is exactly what you said. is old guard versus new, and we'll see if like the actual name recognition makes a difference for Danny.
3: I'd say it's also fitting into another theme, moderate versus progressive. And so trying to figure out which way a district is going to go and like trying to appeal to people to, you know, progressive ideas and ideologies that you see kind of popping up more. I, I you know, I think what Tina said is right. You know, trying to... I, I, th- I think we're, we're going to have to see how much name recognition helps Danny Davis. I don't think it was very close the last time that they ran. No, Can you correct me? Was, yeah. yeah, it wasn't
2: that close. No. Um,
3: but, I mean, she's she's out here. She's running a great campaign, or, like, a fairly good one. I think it'll be interesting, though, to see will voters go with it this time? I don't think so. I think people will go tactically because they want... If you're a Democrat, you want to keep control of the House and the Senate. Um, And I think people are going to want to do that. And I think the name recognition helps Davis. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what kind of uh, campaign she's running on the ground and how intensely she's kind of door-knocking and doing kind of a political education aspect of things. But um, thinking about... um, you know, basically, like the west side, west suburbs, uh, and in that part of town, I always come back to the discussion we had with Brandon Johnson and Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Oh, you yeah, know, when yeah. we had the Warren versus Bernie show, yeah. and Brandon was like, "Look, like this socialism stuff, like doesn't fly with the people in my in my district. Um, that's that same part of town. And so, uh, yeah, this is a really interesting race, but I think that." Um, uh, people, especially the, the the voter base and the primary voter base in a midterm year in that part of the city and county, uh, might be uh, a little more conservative than than the squad.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, I've been waiting for a squad like a uh, representative to emerge from Chicago for a long, long Chewy. time.
1: Chewy, he's with them.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so I think we should open it up and yeah. get some, uh, if there's any questions uh, in the audience. Uh, young Tim Tutton has a microphone, does he not? And uh, he's going to refrain. Last time we did the show, uh, we had two aldermen up here, and Tim was not happy with the ward map and how it placed the hideout. on him. not making any of this up, ladies and gentlemen. So he reserved the right to ask the first question, which is why uh, his bar was in the, the t- second ward, not the 32nd. And within a week, I'm not making any of this up. A new a map was passed, and this ward was moved into the 32nd. So this guy's got more clout. <laughs> <laughs> right there, young Tim Tutton. I don't know if they yeah. they got a <laughs> I think the deal was cut at the bar after the show between Rod Sawyer and Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Uh, so you got a mic as anybody yeah. has any questions?
1: all oh, right okay. in the meantime you want to just yell it out yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll repeat it uh,
2: so the secretary of state's office jesse white has been in there a long time i feel like it's always been talked about as like this prized jewel of illinois political jobs yes yeah. now that jesse white is finally retiring we've gotten some candidates on the democratic side i feel they're generally speaking underwhelming to say the least I, maybe you agree maybe you don't i'm curious why you think maybe there weren't more candidates worth this job
1: okay so the question is why aren't there more candidates running for secretary of state which is considered kind of a crown jewel of 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 political positions in the state um, and why are the candidates that are running seem relatively underwhelming
3: i think the ones we're seeing in this race now view it tactically jesse white promised to not use it as a stepping stone, and to, like, I'm just going to be the Secretary of State. I want this office to run well, as well as possible. Um, And I don't think... Only Pat Dowell, when she was in the race, promised not to use it as a stepping stone. I think Alexei Janoulias, who ran as treasurer, he, you know, lost a Senate bid. I think he probably views it... I think it's, like, 90% sure that he views it as a way to get to some other office um, and to, like reintroduce himself or come back into like the public zeitgeist, the political conversation. I think Anna Valencia, she's been city clerk for a while. Before that, she was doing like political strategy stuff, I think with Durbin and some other people. I think she views it as like the next, maybe not logical step, but a step forward in her career. And then you know, once she's there for a term or maybe two, she might move on. Um, So I think that the people uh, David Moore, I'm not sure how to describe his ambitions in this office. I think maybe he's like similar to Jesse White in that he likes the office he wants it to run well he wants it he wants to be the guy whose you know name is on people's id cards and you see it plastered everywhere um but i don't I don't know what other office he has in mind, if he does have another office he in mind. He says
2: openly, he he, is, he said, I'm the only candidate in this race who is not using it for a stepping stone. Yes, he has yeah, said Oh, that. yeah, that's he's, his thing. He
0: was so blunt about that at a thing that I covered that he's like, this is my last step. So I call this person, I'm like, is he going to not be an alderman after this? And she's like, no, 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 he's definitely going to be an alderman. <laughs> so, like, he's got something. I think that these people are very confident. I think that's the answer that you probably don't, want to hear it, but these people are hugely confident and they're able to convince people and they're able to get fundraising, they're able to get endorsements. So Anna has been able to get these super clout endorsements early on. Um, Alexi has been able to get the support of unions and money, Um, and sometimes that's all that it takes to get the seat, which is sad but true.
2: No, And this is such a stepping stone position. So like, uh, the real, To me, anyway, the real interesting position, uh, positions in politics are ones that deals with ideal, ideological views. So you were in the secretary of state, but you're a keeper of records. There's no ideology to it. You're either effective at it or you're not, unless you live in, like, Georgia, and you're, like, stealing the election, which is a whole different blogging. So uh, y- y- mere, you either want because you just enjoy having your picture and all those motor vehicle things, uh, and you could promote the tumblers, whatever motivated Jesse White. 1998 was the first year. Uh, or you're using it for a stepping stone like Alan Dixon did and George Ryan did. His history of, Chicago, of Illinois politicians who said, I can't wait to be out of this office and do what I really want to do. So I think that answers the question. Other questions? Thank you. Is it
1: long enough?
3: Okay.
2: Um, I know you were talking about redistricting a little, and one thing I'm particularly curious about is obviously Democrats had limited state houses that they fully controlled to kind of you know fully control the redistricting process this time around They kind of had to from a strictly partisan lens you know make the most out of what they had. Um, some degree of horse trading and incumbent protection inevitable, but to what degree did old style Chicago corruption slash incumbent protection? get in the way but what would be like an optimal redistricting for Democrats, in oh, your opinion? That's a good question. That's a, You guys want to start with that one? I
0: studied it a little bit. I called people today, and I was like, what's the most interesting thing with State House and Senate races? So the, we t- we talked about this via email, that like there's a Democratic supermajority in the State House and State Senate that's kind of unlikely to change, although Ken Griffin's really excited to give money to, if Irvin wins, to try to change some of it. So there could be some wins. Um, there is an interesting one with um, Mike Zalewski. Uh, just the fact that he—I feel kind of bad for this is another family situation. Clearly, like I actually called the federal courts reporter, who's one of my best friends in the whole world, to be like, "Explain this to me again." So his father, the former alderman, is in Zalewski's a couple of Zalewski's father. Zalewski's father is same name. Um, he is in some of these federal documents in the Madigan. Investigation in the ComEd one, and in McLean, which was a Madigan lobbyist, and it says something about trying to procure a job for for an alderman who retired in the exact month and year that he retired. So he is not charged with anything, but he's in there. And then his sister is the uh, Illinois Commerce Commission chair, who oversees regulation of ComEd. So it's like you can't like. He can't really predict the family behavior or whatever, but so he's fighting for his district. Um, So there's little elements of, like, how the Chicago clout situation might impact these races, and that's an example of one of them.
2: In terms of specifically redistricting, I think uh, the one that most closely fits the narrative your question suggested would be the state Supreme Court. Uh, and this, uh, we're heading in the Maya country because it's judicial elections. But I find that fascinating because the Democrats had a decision to make when it came to redistricting the map: do they guarantee a four-to-three majority, or do they kind of take a gamble and uh, so uh, spread out Democrat votes so you could pick up two extra seats and have a five-to-two majority? And I think it's are too risky. My, I'm a conservative. I don't gamble at all anymore because I've lost so much money in my life. But uh, I think that's a kind of a risky situation that the Democrats are now facing with this state Supreme Court map, which is that if the Republicans really ride uh, uh, crime tactics the way it looks like they're going to play this out, the Dems could lose control of the Supreme Court. And, and that Ken would Griffin be has huge.
1: poured a ton of yes. money into that, into backing. Uh, conservative Supreme Court judges for the state Supreme Court. Yes,
2: because he he sees it, the Supreme Court, they would oversee cases regarding regulation, perhaps taxes cases. He's looking for his bottom line. But like a conservative Supreme Court could really start chipping away reproductive rights uh, here in the state of Illinois. So... I, I think to your your question, I think that's a scary... That's kind of how I view this state Supreme Court. Your thoughts, Tina and Ra- Rachel?
0: Yeah, um, Unfortunately, we keep talking about money, but as Maya said, that was a whole thing that happened, um, that he put some millions into... Six million dollars. Yeah, and it was... There was something about a law that could have prevented this disclosure from happening, but they didn't... Sign it. Uh, some, there's some sort of little thing that he, a loophole that he was able to bypass in getting that money, in, and and it, yes, it will pro- it will help to protect the Republicans in those races. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's kind of uh, the the Supreme Court is a funny thing because it's there's just always going to be a certain number of those judges that are going to be coming from. Uh, you know, Chicago Cook County, and uh, will probably pretty reliably be um, not not conservative ideologically. But um, yeah, I think it definitely uh, gets overlooked in the conversations about the United States Supreme Court. Um, when uh, I mean, especially if the Democratic supermajority in the state house doesn't last, because and you know, it's 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 possible that will get fractured. Uh, over the next however many years, because the Democratic Party without, you know, I hate to say it, but they had a very strong leadership that made sure that, you know, people stayed in their seats and stayed and stayed kind of in in control. Uh, This this was Madigan's number one preoccupation was to like keep control. So with that leadership vacuum, uh, including in the state party as well, I feel like um, that supermajority remaining will be kind of uh, tenuous uh, as the years go on, and so then, given how vulnerable the government's mansion is to to switch, you know, you know, switching parties, um, then you know, yeah, the, the people think that Illinois is just like a forever blue state, um, and I think that uh, the Supreme Court uh, situation is is kind of a, a canary in the coal mine about how. How vulnerable the state could possibly be to being ideologically very different despite the fact that maybe the majority of, of its uh, of its residents uh, are, are still pretty left
0: and right yeah
1: Ken
2: along the lines of what you're talking about about democratic vulnerability what's the vulnerability quotient on J.B. Pritzker
1: He's got a primary challenger. We didn't even talk about that.
0: (laughs) not going anywhere. He is not vulnerable in this primary race. I think if Richard Irvin wins, yes, he could be vulnerable. This is super high stakes. Whatever you've heard about his political future, yes, he wants a political future. That is why he's defending this with all his glory. Um, So I do believe he is more vulnerable with a Richard Irvin win. He is less vulnerable with a Darren Bailey win. Just because it's pitting far right versus, you know, what he's what, not far left, but moderate left. So he just believes that he'd be able to get people into this middle ground to vote for him. Um, and he does, I swear to God, he does think about this stuff. He does think about his political future, and that's why they're like fighting like hell against Richard Irvin.
3: I agree with what Tina was saying. I think also um, the loss of the fair tax, um, just a brutal political bruising. Um, and sure, you can point the finger at Madigan. You can do whatever you want to try to explain it. But I think that that shows the vulnerability um, as well. Like who, who, who was on that team? Um, I'm sure that Pritzker has asked those questions since the failure of the fail tax of the move to a fair tax, uh, quote unquote fair tax. Those are his words, not mine. I don't have a political opinion. Um, and so I think looking at that situation and looking at okay, well, who voted for it and where? I'm sure that that's also part of his like political calculus for governor, and I'm sure that that also fits into, you know, the Irvin situation. Griffin, a major uh, funder of Irvin, really came out hard against the move to a graduated income tax. So I, I'm I'm pretty sure Pritzker, you know, sees some writings on the wall and it's like i don't want to lose because i want that political future and so i I think that he realizes that there's some vulnerability there are places where you know uh maybe his his message isn't resonating or people who whose hands he hasn't you know shaken yet and i'm sure that that factors into it as well i would say that the vulnerability index is like moderate
0: there's also just the general billionaire war which is like the Ken Griffin brain of I worked for this. I am so rich because I did this. And JB Pritzker, it is a thing. It is a huge thing. Bruce Rauner felt the same way. He was like, How dare you? Like, I made this money and you were born with it. And it's like a really a striking <laughs> billionaire brain situation that is happening.
2: No, that is so true. Um, uh, that is so weird and twisted. But you know I'm going to throw this out here a little. I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom. Uh, I, both, Darren Bailey scares me, uh, you know. Remember, because okay, but back up. Irvin had that question, that that commercial where he said nobody scares liberals like a Republican who looks like me and thinks like us. Which I thought was one of the weirdest commercials I'd ever seen. So twisted and I don't know, really twisted stuff. But man, Darren Bailey. I mean, he comes out and says what he thinks. Uh, he's total MAGA, and I if Irvin wins, which I I've been Betting on him winning and just assuming he's going to win. I wonder how much MAGA will, like, enthusiastically support Irvin at the top of the ticket. It reminds me of uh, when Rauner ran against uh, Pritzker in 2018 because of the abortion issue. And Rauner was openly pro-choice, and that hurt him. And so, you know, Irvin's going to be ducking and dodging. Whenever the Tina Svondelas and Rachel Hinton's of the world ask him about abortion... He'll be ducking and dodging and hemming and hawing. And I, so I, I kind of think he may be vulnerable on that point. What do you think, Richard? Will MAGA go out 100% for Richard Irvin just because they hate Pritzker?
1: I don't know.
3: Um, I could see situations where people hold their nose and vote for him and cast their ballot for Irvin. But I could also see people you know, kind of pulling a 2016 with Hillary Clinton and being like, I don't like any of my options so I'm going to sit it out or I'm going to vote for some other candidate or something like that. Um, I could see maybe both scenarios happening. Um, I'm going to throw it to Tina. (laughs) Um,
0: I do think we're in a new world, as I keep saying, in this midterm year where we don't really know how MAGA will react to everything. Um, I don't think that the MAGA candidates will support Irvin. They, some of them have said that they wouldn't if Irvin wins. So you have some of that. You will probably have like the Darren Bailey crew not supporting them and not helping as opposed to coming behind one Republican candidate, which would help could help them defeat Pritzker. That's the logical thing to do. Get all them together to try to fight him. As as we're seeing in our state, there are a lot of Republican voters. That's a logical thing to do, but logic doesn't always yes. play out. Um,
1: you know, I just I hate to take you guys off track with this governor's race conversation, but uh, we haven't talked at all about the county races, oh, and sure. there are li- there are a couple of interesting things going on besides the assessors race, where we already talked about Carrie Steele a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, people I don't know if people are aware, but Tony Preckwinkle has a primary ca- challenger, Richard Boykin, is running against her. I personally don't think she's—he stands a chance. I mean, I don't think she's ever been more popular than she is now. Uh, this is—I mean, com- after the beating she took in 2019, I feel like she's really had like a phoenix-like <laughs> reascent to the pinnacle of, <laughs> of 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 local politics and appreciation. Um, I mean, do do you guys think that that she stands a chance to? Of losing to Boykin?
3: I don't think so. Richard Boykin has run for a couple of other offices, or at least one other office. I'm thinking of um, the The clerk clerk of the circuit circuit court. court. Um, He did not do well in that race. Um, And his main thing in this race seems to be hitting Preckwinkle on the sweetened beverage tax from 2017. Still talking about it. (laughs) He's (laughs) not over it. Um, As well as, you know, the usual stuff like crime. Uh, crime and then like not listening to people, not reaching you know across like not across the aisle, but like toward like moderate people who like disagree with her, um, but especially crime like that the crime and the sweet and beverage tax seem to be the two things that he's really harping on. The sweet and beverage tax is, is old like that's that's old news that was repealed like congratulations you voted for that crime, sure you know that is a major facet uh, a a major thing on many people's minds, and I think that there are a couple of races, both, like, state house, state senate, county, um, work uh, probably every race, um, where that is a major component, but I don't know that Preckwinkle is so unpopular because of crime. Like, I don't know that you can connect her directly to that or in a way that is sufficient enough to, like, knock her down, um, that she'll lose. I think she'll still come out victorious.
0: Yeah, I like your assessment of how she went back to her job. I was like, I like this. I'm gonna... Re- do this that's what I. Phoenix that's what i did yeah. i felt really good back in my old job and like yeah you go back to the people that you worked with and you try to do as much as you can and she's doing a good job and yeah she stepped like away she's from been, the bitterness of that election. she's been
1: hitting nothing but home runs with like everything that's in her power to do and all you know the money she can throw around she's putting it towards good stuff like it seems uh, from a perspective from a progressive perspective like sh- there's you know she couldn't. She hardly could be doing a better job. It seems like. Um, sheriff's race is a weird and interesting one for me uh, because Tom Dart uh, has uh, three challengers, one of whom is Carmen Jurcyn, who. This is the reason why we couldn't start early voting until May 31st in Chicago. Is because there was like, Carmen Jacone, I think I don't know if this was some kind of historic record, but she was. Dar challenged her petition signatures. She got thrown off the ballot, and then she took it to court, to the circuit court, to fight that, and she won. And usually, candidate like candidates, you know, at this level of the ballot, just really don't have that kind of money. I think to 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 take these um, fights to court, but she did it and she won, and so she got back on the ballot. Um, I gotta say, my I don't understand like who who she got plugged in with and kind of what happened because i met her several times over the years uh when she was running the sheriff's like eviction unit and i never got the impression that she was a particularly right-wing person she seemed to be like a pretty competent manager of that office and at least when speaking about evictions she never said anything that i found like red flaggy at all um uh, uh, but yeah, she's definitely come out. I feel like really hitting Tom Dart on the right with like a very tough on crime type of campaign. Um, so I'd be curious to hear what you guys think about that. I think,
3: I mean, I think it's fair to call her like tough on crime. But I think more so, what I've gotten from her is that like Dart is lax on crime. His approach to solving. Crimes or like solving our our growing crime issue is not working. We need someone new. We need to go with someone who has new ideas or better ideas, who like isn't going to fall asleep on the job, kind of, or not fall asleep on the job, but like isn't going to create an environment where people are ghost payrolling and just kind of turning their back to it, Um, which is the thing that has happened in the office. Um, Dart has been there for a long time. He's been there since 2006. And so I think that she's saying. To voters to the Cook County Democratic Party when she was trying to get their endorsement, like look this isn't working, something fundamentally is not working here, and I think her, as well as the other two people in this race, are really trying to deny dart another term or at least like a majority uh, here to like to move on um, whether or not they're going to be like successful in that. Uh, Not majority, but I think they're trying to wound him in some way. Um, Whether or not they're going to be successful in that, I don't know. Um, It seems like she's very friendly with uh, current clerk Iris Martinez. She She works in the... Yeah, Yeah, very friendly indeed. So I think maybe that's part of it. I know during the slating, she was talking to people I'm pretty sure are close with Martinez, so maybe that's part of this as well. Um, I don't know if there's some bigger, like, Political scuffle going on, like between Martinez and Darter, some somebody in Martinez's like world that they would want to put up Carmen or Gerson, Jercone. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that this is an interesting one. Iris Martinez
1: is like a total uh, political mystery to me, of like how she just seems to have come out of relative obscurity to now be wielding so much influence. Yes. In the Democratic Party in Cook County, uh, and I mean, as far as like at the further down the ballot you go, the more it's like these are Iris's people, yeah. and especially in the judicial races, all of the well, not all of, but a lot of the slated the party endorsed candidates for Cook County judicial vacancies, um, the countywide one, ones, uh, they're Iris's people. They work in her office. She was like enthusiastically endorsing them at, at slating, um, so i I'm just like very perplexed about where like where did she come from and how come she has this level of 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 like political pull in the party all of a sudden
2: well she iris martinez uh her her roots are with dick mal uh in that organization I remember good god I've been around a long time I can remember her, her first election uh writing about it and uh've been around too long um but uh that I, I'm, I get obsessed with these ballot access issues, and in this particular one, wasn't a signature one. There was a, a requirement. I think it was a state requirement that said you, if you're going to run for sheriff, you have to have some kind of law enforcement certification. And there came down to a vote. But the really weird, twisted, arcane way these matters are adjudicated, like the different office holders uh, in Cook County in that same area of like, for sheriff got to vote. So like um, Cook County uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox had a representative who got the vote. And Iris Martinez had a representative who got the vote. I forget who else. I think Dart had a representative who got to vote. And so she lost there, but Iris Martinez's representative voted for her. And then she won a judge ruled against um, the, the first, that first body. So very strange, twisted way we do things. This is the down ballot election. Nobody's paying attention except for geeks. And uh the
0: county is very special. Yeah, um, I do think with the DART situation, it is to, to scare him a bit because he has run before, and he just wins very easily. So if you're talking about someone with opposing views, and there are a lot of people who work in law enforcement who do have opposing views who may not totally agree with how their, mm-hmm. their county or city is running things, so I do think there is a purpose in pushing people more to the middle, and yeah. that could be a reason that she's running.
2: Mm. All right, we got one more question.
0: There's two places on the ballot, the, the Cook County Committee woman and the Cook County Committee man, and what, do you know what they are and what they do?
1: Oh, Great question. question. <laughs> it's actually state. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. so there's Cook County commissioners and there's state central committee people. So... You guys wanna explain?
3: Yeah, so um, committee people uh, with the Democratic Party of Illinois, they uh, help get people registered to vote and also kind of organize the state's get-out-the-vote initiative. Um, And they raise money for both of those things, to to be able to do those things. Um, Some other stuff too, but I would say that those are the main things that they do. Our state central committee is in flux. So um, Mike Madigan, former House Speaker, uh, former head of the Democratic Party of Illinois, left uh, last year uh, under, you know, casual circumstances. Um, And so that kicked off a really heated election cycle for who was going to lead the party between Robin Kelly and uh, Alderwoman Michelle Harris. Harris was backed by Pritzker, Durbin. Was she backed by Durbin? Do you know? uh, she was backed by Pritzker at least. I don't want to you know, be wrong there. Uh, Robin Kelly had various other people. I believe actually she might have had Durbin. But she, she had, they, they both had big players in their courts and it came down to Robin Kelly run, won this thing. So what you see on your ballot is, um, I believe you'll see whoever your congressional like representative is, that's the one that you will vote for. Um, And here, uh, the thing that I think is most maybe important to know is that proxy war between Pritzker and Durbin is still going on. So there are a couple of races where Pritzker is supporting a candidate against someone who has been an incumbent for a long time um, because maybe that person voted for Robin Kelly. Or Pritzker, I think, is also trying to solidify some sort of power or create some sort of like power base or some allies, really, within the Democratic Party's ranks. I think, you know... um, Robin Kelly is up for state central committee woman for, I believe she's the first
1: district? Second.
3: Second, thank you. Um, I think th- her, she's she doesn't get to like rest. <laughs> she doesn't get to like just be leader and like do the get out the vote stuff, raise money, the money that she can raise. Um, I think she's going to have to run again to remain the head of this party for a full term. She she just took over for Madigan's, like, little period of time that was remaining. It's the
0: post-Madigan world tour. Remember, Pritzker had to to totally isolate himself from Madigan, and now Madigan's gone for a year or more, so now he's going to try to exert a little bit more control in this.
1: I mean, essentially, the the these are political positions within the Democratic Party that, you, as a Democrat, if you pull a Democratic ballot, you get to make those selections. And the, the Republicans have it as well. Um, so, if you, the, I think the way to think about it is like, okay, if there's like multiple people to choose from uh, and you're trying to decide about, you know, the merits of the candidates or whatever, um, if you want the Democratic Party, the state Democratic Party, you know, to be more progressive or to the left or whatever, by voting in committee people who are, you know, ideologically that way, you have an opportunity to influence the the party ideology as a whole, and you know, then those people are able to influence who the who the state party backs and where they spend their money and the candidates that they endorse and run and stuff. So, it's it's kind of a it, it's it's kind of an internal party thing, but we get to vote on it, um, and yeah, I mean, uh, it's just. Uh, I mean, Bobby Rush is, like, still running to be the state central committeeman for the first district, and he's got, like, three challengers, but I think it's interesting, too, because, like, again, like, you see a lot of times whoever the elected official is for that uh, congressional seat or that state uh, house or state senate seat or whatever for that area will be also the state central committeeman or committee woman, and, um, People really hang on to those positions because that's really where
0: the power play in the party happens. Yeah.
2: yeah so, so just a, it's a party; it's a party position as opposed to a governmental. There's one.
0: probably a reason why, Pete, like, they don't tell people how it works. <laughs> it's like you got to Google it yourself, right? Yeah. And it is super influential, so absolutely. there's a reason for it.
2: Yes, they keep you ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> a, which is not to a be purpose.
0: the committee
1: people <laughs> are not to be confused with the county commissioners, which depending on where you live you may have a contested race, and now we're out of time. But uh, I guess I just want to say one more thing and and plug the most down-ballot races, which are your judicial races. So uh, I've put up a QR code here, which if you scan will take you directly to the Injustice Watch Judicial Election Guide, which is now out and ready for you to use. Uh, You can also go to injusticewatch.org slash judges. Um, There are... um, Two appellate court races, 10 countywide races that all of us in Cook County will get to uh, uh, pick a candidate for. And then, depending on where you live in, in the county, you'll also have uh, potentially a sub circuit race or two um, where you choose a judicial candidate uh, who is coming from that per- your particular district. So, just like with any other elected district, the sub circuits, you know, they people have to live in the subcircuit to run for a judicial seat from there, and only voters there get to vote on them. Um, judges are the elected officials that you are most likely to encounter in your life. Uh, they have the most direct impact on uh, your life, your livelihood. Uh, you know, if you've ever gotten divorced or had an issue with your will after a loved one died or a traffic ticket or been accused of a crime or any of that, you're going to be dealing with judges and... Um, the uh, There are uh, a lot of candidates to choose from, but our guide will tell you everything you need to know about them. We don't endorse anybody, uh, but uh, it should help you make an informed decision. Don't just pick a random name or the first person on the ballot or the only woman running in the race. Um, there's better ways to decide who should be a judge. Um, and we also include all the information about all the bar association rankings for the candidates, campaign finance, you know, if they've got some interesting backers. So, yeah, um, that's the last... Uh, that's, I think that's the last word on the ballot. Thank, let's give a round of applause to our guests. Yeah. Rachel Hinton from the BGA. Tina Spondili's from the Sun-Times. Find them on social media. Find First Tuesdays uh, on social media as well. We are First Underscore Tuesdays on Instagram. We're First Tuesdays with Maya and Ben on Facebook. Uh, That's where we'll be posting information about our next shows. And uh, the July show will be the day after, 4th of July, 5th of July, uh, will be the first Tuesday. And... uh, you guys should stay tuned to what our topic will be uh very possibly having to do with this impending supreme court decision oh my goodness. yeah i told ben it was a bad idea i was like nobody what do we have to say about this in illinois like every aspect of this conversation has been covered and then he was like do you understand how close we are to being indiana Everything could change in terms of abortion access here very easily, and I was not fully grasping that before uh, Ben really freaked me out. So, most likely, that's going to be our July show.
2: Very good. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Love.